Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, here we are. We are at the end of 1 Peter, and we are at 1 Peter chapter 5. If you brought a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there. If you have a smartphone and you can have the Version Bible app, you can look at the events tab, and you can get an outline of the the major points you see on the screen and the scriptures as well. But we are talking about faith comes with responsibility. Everything comes with responsibility, doesn't it? But as we look at this this morning, I'm going to start with something. I'm not sure how many of you are superhero fans this morning, but track with me if you would for just a second. During one of the Spider-Man movies, right before Peter Parker's uncle Ben passed away, he uttered a phrase. Any of my comic book nerds know what that is? <laughs> well, let me remind you. The saying is, with great power comes great responsibility. That's right. This was a powerful quote that has been used many times since then. And actually, though, it first appeared in the comic book Amazing Fantasy Number 15, created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko back in 1962, before I was even born. This was the first issue, actually, to include the character of Spider-Man. And if you have a copy of this comic book that is shown on the screen here, if you have a copy of it and it's in mint condition in your ownership, it's well worth over $1 million. Boy, I wish I had my comic books from when I was a kid. But those of you that know that stuff know the, the value there. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a very conservative estimate. But while the, the issue is not the value of the comic book, the issue is that I'm taking issue with this morning is the actual statement, with great power comes great responsibility. To many of this generation and the generation that saw that, in the Spider-Man movies, or saw that in the Spider-Man comics, they attribute that with Stan Lee, who was Spider-Man's creator. But the thing is that similar ideas to this statement can be found in many different cultures throughout history. It may surprise you to know that in Luke chapter 12, 48, the Bible says, To whom much is given, much will be required. And in the French National Convention declared in 1973 that a great responsibility is the inseparable continuation of a great power. So while Uncle Ben may have popularized the phrase, with great power comes great responsibility, he did not originally say it. However, this concept does a great job of summing up the Apostle Peter's words to us this morning in Scripture. You see... In times of darkness, believers are called to take their faith more seriously. We must lead and stand firm and encourage others to do the same. That's why we're here today. And we do that for the glory of God. And Jesus is the answer to the questions of life. And if we do not stand up for him, even while we are suffering, who will? You see, if you believe that God has called you to place your faith in him, If you believe you are a Christian this morning, whether you're watching by way of the pews or you're watching by way of our 
Facebook stream, if you believe you are a believer today and you've placed your faith in him, that means he has also commissioned you to stand up for him. It's not optional. There's not a fine print in the contract you sign when you accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord. So let's jump into God's Word and read from His Word what He says about that. Now, as we look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5, it says, And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I, too, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in His glory when He revealed to the whole world, when He is revealed to the whole world. Now, let me just stop there for a second, just for perspective. This is the same Peter that ushered Jesus into the trial that was fixed. He saw him beat and whipped. We don't. We think that he and many of the other disciples ran during the crucifixion, but it's very possible that Jesus was crucified on the hill of Golgotha. It's very possible that Peter and the rest of the disciples were far off but could still see every moment of that. So this is from where he is writing that. And he says that, verse 2 again, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve the, serve God. Now don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them to your own good example. So I will go ahead and tell you that a lot of this in the first part of this text is pointing to people like me that are in spiritual leadership of a church. And it's in pointing to our deacons. And some churches, they have elders. And so uh, there's a, um, a structure there. So even if you are a Bible study teacher or, or serve on a committee or you have any kind of leadership role, this could assign to any of us. But Paul addresses and identifies with the spiritual leadership. What were elders? Elders were men of the church that provided spiritual direction and leadership to that church. Often in modern context, they served the church with staff members. Like uh, I know of one church that has elders. Many churches do it this way. You have deacons that serve and do help do the work of the ministry, but you have elders that are kind of above all. So you have uh, lay leaders, or in other words, non-church staff members that are the leadership of the church. Then you have the pastor who is an elder. You have another minister on staff that is an elder. So everybody's got an equal vote. And so that's kind of what it looks like today. But I want to share with you real quick a verse that has really been rocking my world for the last month. And uh, it has breathed life into me, and it has really blessed me. And I hope that it, it, if nothing else, you'll see what's going on in my heart. If you go and you look in your Bible to Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Let me re- because this kind of goes in line with what Peter was saying. He says in verse 28, So guard yourselves and God's people. Guard yourselves and God's people. You know what that makes you? God's people. And it says here, it says, Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased 
with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. So what that tells me is, number one, this is not my church. You are not my people. You are God's people. Whether you are walking with God in lockstep or whether you are searching for him or whether you are struggling, you are God's people. And I'm not the best pastor in the world, but I'm the one that the Holy Spirit appointed to lead this flock for now. And what a great um, feeling of confidence. What a great knowledge to know that you are God's people and God has given me the privilege of doing this. And that God, if right now, for what God wants for Home and Park Baptist Church, myself and the deacons and those that are leadership, God has appointed for this moment. And so we see here that Peter is identifying those that have been appointed to the work. And it says here that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. What does that mean for people that are in leadership, especially for pastors? You see, when you house sit for someone, you are entrusted with their home and everything in it. You're responsible for taking care of the house, making sure it's safe and secure, making sure that you're keeping everything in good condition, maybe water the plants, mow the grass, feed and care for the pets. But you also need to be respectful to the homeowner's belongings and follow their rules. In the same way, folks, pastors and leaders and elders are entrusted with God's people. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. I am an under-shepherd. I'm watching his house. And I'm doing all that I can do. And these types of leaders are responsible for taking care of God's people, making sure that they are safe and secure and helping them grow in their faith. And pastors also need to be respectful of God's people and God's rules. Just as a house sitter would never abuse the trust that has been placed in them, Pastors, elders should never abuse that trust that God has placed in them with his flock. They should always put God's people first and serve them in the best way possible. The reason I say that is because I don't know if you know this, but today anyone can go to a website and apply for an ordination certificate to be considered an ordained minister. There's no accountability. There's no proof of even any true conversion, whether they even believe what they're ordaining. There's no questions about doctrine or behavior. It's just a certificate giving them all the power that the state requires to marry somebody. And look, I've known people, and and look, if you were judged by, I mean, excuse me, if you were married by your best friend and they went online and they 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 bought an ordination. They did. Look, I'm not, I'm not throwing sand on that. I'm not. You know, there are people. I've known people that. Well, so and so wants me to marry him. I'm their third cousin, and they want me to do it. I'm not ordained, uh, and so I'm just going to go print it off. And th- there have been some people I've known that they were so far from God they wouldn't know where to start looking for him, and they get ordained so they could go marry their friends. That's not the type of leadership Peter is talking about here. Church leaders also should not flaunt their certificates because they will be rewarded on how they lead God's flock. And one day, 
Yes, you are going to be judged about what you've done or not done for Christ. You're going to be judged by how active or inactive you were in the Lord's work. And I will be judged even harsher for how I have led his flock. And I understand that. But also at the same time, I get to enjoy and appreciate all the great blessings that he bestows on me as a leader to be able to lead you, his flock. So the point here. My life point number one is this. Leadership is not. The leadership of God's people is not self-surfing in an effort to pad your wallet, build your platform, and popularity. Look, if I am in the pastorate, if I am a, if I am a leader, or if there is someone in our church that is leading to get prominence, to get a platform, to get self-accolades, to get a little bit of power, to be able to tell people what they think they ought to do, to be able to get their agendas pushed forward rather than God's agendas, those are the wrong reasons, and God will judge those. Serving God and His people is a privilege, folks. If you have any role of leadership in this church, do you realize what a privilege it is? He could use anybody. It's His church, and He has appointed you to this position. Yes, I or somebody may have asked you to do it. Yes, you may have been on a list for 30 years now in the same position. But God has asked you to do it, and that is a privilege. And it says here that we are to serve Eagerly, that means ready and willing. Every servant of God has times of trial and discouragement. I've had them. However, and I would say this to all my brothers that are in the pastorate and all the ladies that are serving the Lord, if you are serving God with a grudge, you either need to get over it or get out. That's what this is saying. If you cannot serve God eagerly, you'll have times of struggles. You'll have times of trial. You'll have times of, like Jesus, where he was in the garden and he was agonizing over something. But at the end of the day, if you just say, I can't stand this anymore, I can't do it, and you keep on and keep on and keep on, God says, get out. I'll find somebody else to give him this privilege. That's what Peter is telling the leaders here. He says in verse 3, don't lord it over the people assigned to your spiritual care, but lead them by your own good example. Folks, God knows the difference in what kind of leader I am and what kind of leader you are as well. And he says those who do that will receive the never-ending crown of glory. Well, that there, he's talking about the eternal life and reaping the rewards for your service. I think of my father-in-law, Landrum Reese, who served the Lord faithfully for, oh my goodness, how many years, Donna? Long time, longer than I've been alive. In the Greenville area, the Belton area, all over the place. I can't imagine what heaven looked like when he walked in. Can you imagine what it looked like when Billy Graham walked in? Can you imagine what it looked like when some of your family members walked in that were pillars of this church? It's something to look forward to, folks. Don't get me wrong, I'm not running to it. But I'm looking forward to it. When it gets here, because there will be a reward. Now, to do this, Peter's next point in verses 5 through 7 is, you have a responsibility to humble yourself. Boy, this is a fun one. It says in verse 5, In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. Here we go, those of you that are youngins. When I say youngins, I mean younger than me. 
Those of you that are young, he says, y'all got to live by this too. You realize church leadership is not just for the old people in the church. It's for the young people too. And he says here, you in the same way who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. He's not talking about a church dress code here. He's not talking about how long your skirt should be, what kind of pants you should look like, what color your tie should be. When he starts talking about being clothed in humility, that means coming in with a servant's heart. He says, as you come in, dress yourselves in humility, or some translations say, clothe yourselves in humility as you relate to another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You ever heard that one before? God opposes and gives grace to the humble. So because of that, verse 6, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. So here we go, verse 7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I'm not a rocket scientist here. But it looks like if you have worry in your life, it may be because you're not humbling yourselves before him. When you were younger, (laughs) that's what he says. When you were younger, you do everything, at least you thought you did, right? It's that old saying, those of you that are younger, they say that uh, as you're growing up, the smarter your parents get. Because when you're young, you're teenagers, you think your parents don't have a clue. And those that are your guardians and those authorities in the church, they don't have a clue. They don't know, I'm young. And I've been there. I used to be young. I was just like that. But the truth of the matter is, is that Peter is addressing those believers who did not respect or want to follow the elders of the church. You see, the elders have the responsibility to submit to God and lead well. I, as a pastor, must submit to God and lead well. The church, your responsibility is to submit to God, same thing, and follow well. Well, that doesn't, to follow somebody sounds very harsh to somebody that's not humble. To follow somebody is not good words for somebody that thinks they know better than God and his leadership. Now, look, I'm not using this to beat somebody over the head and say, what I say goes, because that's not the type of leader I am. I, I lead with, with, with getting people together and us praying about it and coming up with a common vision and goal. But at the same time, when that vision and goal gets set... Some have to lead, some have to follow. All of you have been in jobs and organizations where they say there were too many chiefs and not enough Indians, right? Not enough people were humble. Dress yourselves in humility. This is the ability to put aside your own agenda in light of God's. And here's the thing, and and I was guilty of this for a long time in youth ministry. Pride restricts intergenerational ministry. Boy, that sounds like a mouthful. Pride restricts intergenerational ministry. You see, pride keeps churches from being intergenerational regardless of their age, their color, or their social status. I've heard it before. The adults get together. Those church youth group, the youth group, all they do is make a mess around here. That's all they look, look, look. They you get that youth pastor into the church and pastor, you talk to him. Did you see the mess that they left in the fellowship hall? <laughs> I know because I was on the receiving end of that. 
And then we hear, well, you know what? The senior adults don't like the music of the youth. But then you, if youth pastors spend all their times in a separate part of the church listening to their own music, doing their own kind of preaching with their own kind of games and their own kind of stuff, that's cool for a while, but what there's big church doesn't matter. So what then the old people say, you just keep the youth over there. We, you're doing such a great job with them, but keep them over there. We don't want to mess up our fellowship hall. And then the youth over here saying, they don't want anything to do with us, and we don't want anything to do with them. So instead of building a church of a family, you've got pockets of ministries. And that's not leadership. That's corralling. And that's people that are too prideful. That's youth that are too prideful to think that they could have something and benefit from an older generation. That is an older generation too prideful that they write off the younger generation. And it took me years in student ministry to blow that out of the water and realize that our youth needed senior adults. And quite honestly, our senior adults needed youth. We had to stop all of this pride. No, the kids don't. All the kids do is play in the youth group. No, that's not true. Some people can say all that the senior adults do is play and eat. We've got to be careful, folks. People will respect you when you respect them. Older looking at younger, younger looking at older. Look, if you are younger and you're looking at the older people today, you have no idea what they've gone through. They look sweet. They look all put together. They look all pretty and all their church stuff. And, and you look at them as, as like surrogate grandmothers. And, and look, y- y'all are deserving of that. You've got wisdom. You've been through that. But I don't think the younger generation fully knows what y'all have been through. And I would say, as you see our younger folks in this church, you don't know what they've been through. We've got to humble ourselves and realize we don't know what kind of day the person beside us had before they got here. And it may, may be more than their breakfast muffin got burnt. Humility places you in a position to learn from others. And notice it says, at the right time, he will lift you up. Let me ask you something. Which is more important to you? The position and recognition you enjoy from your family and peers, or is God's recognition more important? Look, if you are humble, God will exalt you in his perfect timetable instead of your own. Now, I'm going to try to set this up for you. You've got, it says in his time, right? So we've got two things. We've got your time, and we've got his time. Your timing, everything that you've worked to try to do for your life, your timing is sustained by your own efforts. It's up to you. You are trying to work your problem, your time, your way. His timing is sustained by him and powered by him. So I don't know about you, but would you rather be powered by your own self-ability or would you be rather powered by the Creator's ability that created you. Your power is exhaustible. It has a limit. You know what it's called? Death. God's power is inexhaustible. It'll never run out. So it says in verse 6, it says, So place yourselves under Him, under God, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. 
Humble yourselves under God. That is exactly where I want to be. One nation under God is what we're supposed to be, right? You know, sheriff deputies, they operate under the direction of a sheriff. EMS, they operate under the direction of a doctor in medical control. Fire departments in Anderson County operate under Anderson County Fire. Armed forces operate under our commander-in-chief. In your workplace, everybody has a supervisor. We all answer to somebody, and ultimately we all will answer to God one day. So when it comes to God's recognition, let me give you this, life point number two. God's recognition counts more than any other praise we could ever gain in this world. What is, that, what is it they say it takes one, you really messed up to erase a lot of that attaboys and pats on the back? That's true. But you know what? At the end of the day, what you think about me in the grand scheme of things is irrelevant. What I think about you in the grand scheme of things is irrelevant. It's what God thinks about us. God's recognition counts more than any other praise we could ever gain in the world. For example, imagine a world where all the buildings are named after people. We were at a church one time, and it seems like everybody was getting a building of, named after them. I thought maybe I was going to get the, the storage shed or the bus barn. But uh, I didn't even get that. <laughs> but so many people get their, their names enshrined on buildings. Their buildings named after presidents, scientists, and artists. But one day, a great earthquake comes and destroys all of the buildings. And the name of the people who were once honored are forgotten. People spend all these times and all these accolades. One day, all of this is going to be destroyed. And it's going to be gone. And it's not going to matter what our name meant. It's going to matter what Jesus' name meant. That's why we need to make His name great among us. That's why we have to lift Him up. So don't be discouraged if you don't receive recognition from this world, instead seek God's recognition. Because in the end, his recognition is the only one that truly matters. Then it says in verse 7, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. I love Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus says this, and it's really simple. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Think of those burdens you carried in here today. Think of those things you've worried about. Has it added one single millisecond to your life? The answer would be nope. Nope. Those things that we carry do not add life to us. They slowly drain it away. Notice what Peter says here. God cares for you. Folks, every worry reveals a lack of trusting God. The minute you start to worry, your fear, your faith is replaced by fear. God even cares about your mess-ups. Look, he's not saying you've got to be perfect. If you're here today and you messed up, that's what repentance and forgiveness means. It means you say, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. That's okay, I'll forgive you. Now let's move on, let's do better. God carrying our worries is a one-time decision. That results in a continuous mindset. If you give it to God, you've got to keep reminding yourself that you gave it to God. That's what that means. Colossians 3.2 says, Think about things of heaven, 
not the things of earth. Then we see in verses 8 through 11, you have a responsibility to be engaged in your faith. Engaged in your faith. Uh, For those of you that are young and don't know what that is, that's actually a gear shift. Did you know that transmissions in cars are not automatic in some cars? (laughs) I saw a... uh, a bumper sticker or something on the back of a Jeep that said Millennial Theft Protection and it had the pattern of a straight drive on it. Uh, I guess they were making fun of people they didn't know how to use a straight drive. But the reason I put that picture up there is because if you've ever driven a straight drive, you know that you have to engage the gear and then you have to let the clutch out for it to start moving. Folks, we can look at the Bible all day long and this would be just like those numbers on top of that knob. But until we engage our faith, until we try some things, until we fail at some things, until we attempt some things, we're not engaging our faith. And look at what he says. Stay alert. Peter is telling the Christians, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour someone. I don't want you to think that the devil is some little cartoon character that everybody's going to be putting on their front doors here during Halloween. He's serious. He's nasty. He is a roaring lion. And here's the thing about lions. They attack those that they think that are sick or young and weak. So if you are giving up the vibes of a weak faith, you are a prime target for the devil. Because he is looking for people that are oblivious to their surroundings. If you are weak in your faith, Satan knows it, and you are his prime target. Satan will attack you when your your defenses are down and you do not expect him. When you're filled with religious pride and think that you are untouchable because of your self-dedication and self-discipline. The minute you say to God, I never will, you have just put a mark on you that the devil is going to be coming after. And when you are tired and hurt and self-absorbed, and wandering away from God and a little whiny, you are a prime target for the devil. But James 4.17 says, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Put up your guard. Quit talking about all the bad things that are happening to you. Pull up your bootstraps. Pull up your boxing trunks and live in the faith that God has given you. And get out of the pity party and get back into faith and be alert and know that you are under attack from the devil. Get your head right and get back in the game. Verse 9 says, Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Now, I'm not going to go read it, but if you're taking notes, go on back later to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where it talks about the fact that we are at war. We are at war with spiritual entities that we cannot see that are seeking to destroy us. If we could put on glasses to see the spiritual warfare, even around this building right now, it would scare the mess out of us. Ephesians 6.14 says, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In other words, I love that verse. I just, it's been resonating with me 
uh, here lately because that's part of the spiritual armor. And what that means is, is although you walk through chaos, God's word will give you peace in the midst of it. Verse 9, second half of 9b says you're not alone. Remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. I don't know what the, the mainstream media news is reporting nowadays about what's going on over in Israel. There are some other outlets that you can follow where it's a little bit more less biased, less spin, and more just facts. And if you don't know it, Israel's at war with Hamas. Again, Hamas has attacked Israel and done some horrific things. And to those of us in the comfort of Holman Park Baptist Church, South Carolina, it may not mean much to you, but you are seeing the Bible prophecy unfold every day. What happens in Israel matters to us today. What happens to Israel matters to God. So while we are here in this beautiful sanctuary, and again, I'm so thankful for it today, but we have brothers and sisters of the faith that are dying and hurting today, and does it move us at all? It says in verse 10 and 11, In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, (laughs) I love that, so after you have suffered a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and He will place you on a firm foundation All power to him forever. Amen. So, somebody asks, will this suffering ever end? Peter says yes. And he says in a little while, you say, well, man, it's been years I've been suffering with this. This world's been going to hell in a handbasket ever since I can remember. It's not getting any better, preacher. Well, look at it this way. When he says in a little while, you take every minute that is spent with this earth in existence it is a little while if you compare it to eternity, right? So although you are going through a lot now, it will end one day. It will either end, and then you may get through what you're going through right now, but I am guarantee you something else is waiting around the corner. And what you're going through today is preparing you for whatever. So don't freak out about it. Whatever you're going and again, some of your older folks in here, you could give us lessons on this. Is that some of the stuff that we're going through now, It goes in cycles, and it prepares us for what's coming next. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the suffering will end when we no longer are on this earth and we are with Jesus. And that's what Paul is trying to do. God was using this to prepare the church for the coming persecution. Because I don't know if you know this, as we are wrapping up our time today, he wrote all of these words, and then more than 360 million Christians or one in seven Christians worldwide face high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith today. And verse 11 is not a throwaway verse. All power to him forever. Amen. It says, our third point is God's power is limitless and can do anything in our lives. We should praise him for his greatness. That is what this passage was saying. And then finally, verses 12 through 14. You have a responsibility to encourage other believers. I am so glad Walmart Pharmacy decided to call me right now to tell me that I have a prescription that's ready. 
Sorry about that. I thought I had that on do not disturb. I do, but somehow it still came through. Anyway, we'll edit that out, right? Anyway, you have a responsibility to encourage other believers. Look at verses 12 through 14 in our time together today. It says this. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing this is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. He's saying, look, this suffering you're going through is part of the plan and God's grace is going to be shown to you. He says, verse 13, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings and so does my son Mark. Some translations say John Mark. That's the Apostle Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love and peace be all of you who are in Christ. What we see in this passage here, the last couple of verses, we see two guys that are in supporting roles. We see Silas. Silas, you'll know of him not only through what Peter is saying about him, but also Paul. Remember, Paul and Silas were jailed for preaching the gospel. Well, Mark's experiences and writings were a resource to Peter as he wrote these letters. So here's something to think about. Silas and Mark played supporting roles to Peter and Paul, but they, they were supporting roles, but they were important. So here's the question I have for you, and I have to ask myself this. Are you okay with playing a supporting role and not the leading role? Are you willing to be a byline in God's story for his glory, or do you need to seek that main, that main title? There's a lot of guys that are in my position that are seeking the title of Peter and Paul. And then there's other guys that would be just as content being the unnamed guy or a Silas or a Mark. Let me ask you something. Do you have to be the leader or are you willing to encourage those who are leading? Your responsibility is to God and those he has entrusted you with. Your responsibility is to God and those he has entrusted you with. You see, Peter lived out his responsibility. I want you to understand as we wrap up First Peter this morning, this is what I'm leaving you with. Peter lived out his responsibility. He lived what he wrote. Peter wrote this letter right before the Roman tyrant King Nero began persecuting Christians throughout the Roman Empire. That's how timely this letter was. He wrote this, told them about the pending suffering, then all of a sudden King Nero shows them pain like they have never seen before. The apostle that denied Jesus, Peter, that denied Jesus three times was now the one standing firm and ultimately was martyred for his faith in Jesus. History says that he was crucified upside down because he said he was not worthy enough to be crucified right side up like Christ. So regardless of what you think about the Bible and, and all the verses and all this kind of stuff like this, just tell me this. Can you deny a man that went from denying Jesus to dying for Jesus? And his main goal 
was to equip the church to let them know what was coming. There was a reason Jesus said, Peter, you are the rock, and on you I'm going to build my church. You saw a life transformation. A man that was full of himself, thought he knew everything, that denied Jesus, and now he's a man that is dying for Jesus. Proving no matter how bad you mess up, God can still use you to stand for him, his people, and his church. Folks, if you don't stand, encourage, and equip others, God's going to use someone else. You and your inner circle of influence will be the ones to lose out. Today is the day to stand and lead. Today is the day to take advantage of what God has called you to. Today is the day to put worry behind you and faith in front of you. Today is the day to take your responsibility as a believer. This was not just written to the pastor, folks. It's written to you too. There's a lot of people in this church, and I say this with all the love in the world. If you want Homeland Park Church to grow, you're going to have to give more than one or two hours a week. We need leaders. We need people to stand up. We need people to take their faith seriously. And we have been blessed by that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning. And God, we just right now pray that, Lord, as we have friends that are watching by way of video, we have friends that are here in our pew today, Lord, in our sanctuary. God, we are so thankful to be here. But, Lord, uh, there is always a call for repentance. There is a, when you lift up Christ and him crucified, there is always a moment where there may be somebody to say, I want to do what the Lord's called me to do. I want to lead like you said, Pastor, but I've got some things that I need to to give to God. I need to get right with him. I need to, to do some things. I need to get this plate clean. I need to, to reprioritize. And if that's you, brother, sister, I'm praying for you. And if you want the encouragement and the support of a church that will rally around you and pray for you, then I encourage you to, to come forward and pray with me, to come down, walk down this aisle. Stand for him in that way because there are some people that would do it but won't because they're waiting for somebody else to do it. Will you be that leader? Maybe someone wants to join this church or be baptized, whatever it may be, whatever the decision may be, God. Maybe there's just someone here that wants to rededicate themselves to you, Lord, to be the leaders you've called them to be. This altar is open. You don't have to talk to me. You can come pray at the altar. But God is working this morning. If you'd like to respond, now is your opportunity. Would you please stand as we sing our Lord's hymn of invitation.